thank you for coming this morning. I know there are a number of places you could spend your Sunday morning. Thank you for choosing to spend it with us. For those of you who are our visitors, it's probably painfully obvious that I am not Shane Looper. Shane and Karen have been on a vacation this week, and uh, they'll be back this next week. You really need to come back when Shane's preaching. For those of you who are regular attenders, thank you for not leaving yet. (laughs) Excuse me, I've had this leprosy where you cough for the next six decades, and I'm trying to get over it, but if I cough in your ear, I apologize. I want you to think with me this morning for a few minutes about something that we hardly ever talk about at Lockwood, giving. So now that the ushers have locked the doors, no, I'm teasing. How does it make you feel when somebody says they're going to talk about giving? I mean, does it change the way you look at me? This is my friend Mike. He operates from an undisclosed location in North Carolina. For those of you, no, no, back up, back up. For those of you who are just going to hear the audio, uh, Mike is dressed in black and is holding an assault rifle. And the caption says, church offerings will increase this Sunday. Actually, Mike is a pastor friend of mine, and I assure you this was put up in fun on Facebook. And one of the best responses was his friend who said, Mike, you're supposed to receive the offering, not take it. Maybe it changes the way you look at yourself. This is one of our college students facing midterm exams. And again, for those of you who are only getting the audio, it's a little girl looking down the barrel of an antique cannon. So I'm sure by now you're thinking, why on earth would he speak on something like that? And I know your wheels are already turning. And you've come up with some ideas. So let's go through a few ideas. Lockwood is hurting for money and desperately needs to increase, I can't read that, offerings. Now, if you're part of Lockwood, you know that's not true. That's false. God has been so gracious and so kind to Lockwood, and we greatly appreciate your your regular giving. Here's one for those of you who like conspiracy theories. There's a secret plan to build a $42 million addition and start paying all the elders. I want to tell you that plan is so secret the elders don't even know about it. That one's false. Number three, Shane really wanted to talk about giving, but he was afraid, so he asked me to do it. Good, I can tell you no Shane. If you know Shane at all, giving is one of the last things he wants to speak on. And I would venture to say there's not anything Shane's afraid to speak on. And I assure you, he didn't ask me. Four, Don's ability to speak in the language of guilt and manipulation is slipping and he needs to practice. (laughs) I don't doubt for a moment there are a number of things I need to practice and improve on. But trust me, guilt and manipulation is not one of them. And then this is my favorite. The ushers have noticed that some of the regular attenders are still passing the offering plate by like they were visitors. You know, we often tell you at offering time, you know, if you're a visitor, just pass the plate by. That's false. We don't know. None of the elders know how much you give. Uh, If you give by check or envelope, the financial secretary knows, but I assure you nobody else knows. 
So those are all false. So that still leaves the question, why on earth would I choose to speak on this? Well, as you probably know, I teach a college and career Sunday school class, and we've been studying... Boy, that's a live spot. (laughs) We've been studying 2 Corinthians, and when I came to chapters 8 and 9, where Paul deals with the offering, I thought, you know what? His viewpoint on giving is really different than mine. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to have to fly, but we're going to kind of skim through 8 and 9. We're going to read a lot of scripture. We don't have time to go into a lot of details, but if you want to come Wednesday night out to Big Beast, you can pick up one of these Go Deep sheets, and there's a list of questions that we'll talk about at least some of them, hopefully most of them. So join us then. If you have an electronic Bible, I'm in new NIV this morning. Um, otherwise, follow along in whatever you have. Uh, here's the background. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul had asked them and instructed them about starting to take an offering for the saints in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church was having hard times and facing hard times. So he wanted to collect some money from the other churches to help them. So he started giving them instructions. Well, here it is, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and they're not done yet. So he needs to send a little help. And probably the best summary is in chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 5. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift and not one grudgingly given. So Paul's going to give them instructions about giving and how they should give and why and all of that. So what can we learn from that? Well, I want to get about three principles out of this, unless the clock beats me. Uh, The first is that giving involves more than money. And we pick this up in chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Excuse me a minute. Sorry about that. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God that was given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial and overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you excel in this grace of giving. The first thing I notice is that Paul views giving as a grace, not an obligation. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always thought giving is 
something I should do. I grew up in a Christian home where my parents were very good and generous, faithful supporters of the Lord's work. So I've never had an issue with giving itself. But I think I've always kind of viewed it as, you know, this is how we pay the bills and this is what we need to do. And so we, we take a collection, we take an offering. But that's not the way Paul views it. He views it as a grace. And in fact, he says that this is act of grace on your part and that you excel in this grace of giving. You know, if we really viewed the offering as an act of grace, you think it would change how we viewed it? It would move it from simply being how we pay the bills, we interrupt the service for a commercial, it would move it to an actual act of worship. Then I also notice that grace is enabled by God's will and not limited by circumstances. If I gave you the words joy, generosity, poverty, and trial, and ask you to put them in a sentence, would you ever come up with what Paul does in verse 2, talking about how they gave out of their poverty and um, had an abundance of, of joy and generosity? That's just not the way we think. Paul was realistically, he expected them to, to give out of their means, and then he says, but they did more than that. They gave from the heart. So I think that God's giving as a grace is enabled by God's will and not limited by our circumstances. The crucial fact, the factor is that they gave themselves to God first. And then giving as a grace flows from those who have experienced grace. It's clear in verses 4 and 5 that the Macedonians wanted to do this. He says, entirely on their own, they came and they begged me to participate in this offering. I don't know, Dan, did anybody ask you to take the offering this morning? (laughs) We're just used to that as part of our regular service, aren't we? But they wanted to participate. And I think they wanted to participate because they had experienced God's grace. And when we begin to realize the grace and love that we have experienced from God, it's easier for us to give to others and let that grace and love flow through us to others. Okay, principle number two, we must keep on going. Grace involves more than promises. And this is chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. According to your means... For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So giving starts with a willingness. And the Corinthians were exemplary. They were the first to be willing. They'd even started giving. But now they'd gotten sidetracked. And it sort of reminds me that we're all wired differently. You know, some of us are the visionaries that that see the need, and boy, we're willing and ready to go. Some of us are the slow, methodical, sequential plodders. And you give us that project in the beginning, and man, we'll see every reason why it's going to be complicated, and we should really think this through before we take it on. So sometimes, us plodders and you visionaries, we sort of go head to head. But really, we need each other. We need you visionaries to get us started. 
And I would suggest some of you visionaries need some of us plotters to get the job done. (laughs) We'll hang in there and help you complete it. But we've got to be careful we don't drive each other nuts in the process. And then Paul says, giving consists of what we have, not wish we wish we had. We often feel that the critical amount is, the critical part is the amount. And there's lots of things to reinforce that. I get stuff in the mail all the time from groups that want me to give to them. And you ever notice how they got a checkbox up there and uh, it never has the amount you were thinking of giving? You know, it has, would you like to give you know, and you just think, I'm not made out of that kind of money. Or sometimes we realize the need is so great, and it may be a legitimate need, but they need thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and we just think, what can I do about that? Whatever I give is just going to be a drop in the bucket. can't possibly take that on. But Paul says the critical factor is not the amount, it's our willingness. So, do you suppose we should take a few minutes before the offering to check our hearts like we do before communion? You know, sometimes when we have communion, we say, all right, we're going to pass the elements and you can use this time to talk to the Lord and make sure everything's right with him. Maybe we should do that before the offering. That would change things, wouldn't it? Critical factor is our heart, not the amount. And then, you know, at the risk of being Mr. Obvious, giving ultimately requires giving. (laughs) They'd talked about it. They'd probably prayed about it. Maybe they even formed a committee. But they weren't getting the job done. It was just all talk. There are a lot of scholars who think that they probably were distracted by some false teachers that suggested, don't give the money to Jerusalem, give it to me. I'm important, give it to me. But the time had come that they needed to give and complete what they'd started. It had been a year. Paul said, no, we've been at this a year. We need to complete this job. You see, giving involves more than promises. It involves obedience. And then, finally, giving involves more than us. Chapter 9, I almost didn't read the scripture. Chapter 9, starting at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The principle of sowing and reaping is one, we live in a farming area. We're, we're pretty familiar with that. You've probably had to wait to pass a combine or wagon or two here in recent months. But you realize that that applies to our spiritual lives as well, that sowing and reaping go together. Now, verse 7 makes it plain that it's not wrong to have a plan for giving. In fact, uh, it's probably wrong for people to use guilt and manipulation to get you to give more. Paul says God wants cheerful givers, not under compulsion. And when somebody is using the language of guilt and manipulation to try to extract a few more dollars out of you, I don't think that's any more godlike than my friend Mike's assault rifle. God wants us to go before him, determine his will, and give as a way he um, directs us to. Fortunately, we serve a generous God who is generous and faithful with us so we can be generous with others. I have a neighbor who's a retired insurance agent. And he was telling me the other day that a pastor friend of his came to him a while back and said, I got this great idea. I want to go on this evangelistic mission crusade, but I need some money. Can you help? And so my friend said, yeah, I'll give you so much. Well, before he had a chance to write the check, he went into his office and discovered three of his largest accounts were leaving him to go someplace else. And those were the commissions he was going to use to support his friend. So he thought, hmm, what do I do now? He thought, well, I know what I need to do. Sat down, wrote the check to his friend. And he said, you know what? In six months, all three of those accounts came back. And the Lord gave me several more besides. God is faithful and generous to help us and support us and allow us to be generous with others. Now, you should also note that while we're talking primarily about money, and money is what the Corinthians needed to give, it's not just about money, because he talks about the generosity, uh, talks about a harvest of your righteousness and abounding in good work. This is not a plan to get rich. You see, that would be about me. And this is not about me, it's about God and bringing glory to God. So this is, God is interested in a holy life on our part. Now, sometimes we use an intermediate agency. They were going to give this gift through Paul. Sometimes we give it directly, but they're going to give it through Paul. Why was that? Well, because Paul had connections they didn't have, and they could combine their gifts with other people so that it would be more effective and have a greater impact. We have similar things today. Next Sunday, we're going to have our global mission team do the International Day of Prayer and you have those med packs, and you have the offering, if you don't designate it otherwise, will go to the persecuted church. And our global mission team will take that offering and distribute it to people in places that you and I can't visit and maybe don't even want to visit. <laughs> so it will have a greater impact than we could ever have by ourselves. And then lastly, 
giving allows us to help people we don't even know, praise God. Paul said, when you give this money, other people are going to praise God. The goal is to praise God, not us. And he's saying that this is going to have impact with people you don't even know. And part of this is going to be a a result of your um, obedience to the gospel, your confession of the gospel of Christ. And, you know, we just simply don't know the impact of things that we do in our lives. It has impact way beyond where we intended. Karen talked about her mom asking these people if she could pray for them. You don't know the impact that's going to have. And years later, God may use that in their lives and help them. So giving is not about us. It involves God and others. So we've been primarily talking about giving money, but the principles extend beyond that. We must give ourselves first to God, and when he has us, all our stuff ends up in the right priority. And so maybe you'll be able to give money. Maybe you can give service. Maybe you can help with family promise. Maybe grabbing your chainsaw and helping John and Chick on Saturday is more your way of giving. But we need to be giving to God and allow him to work through us. Remember, giving involves more than money. It involves our heart. Giving involves more than us, or more than promises. It involves obedience. Giving involves more than us. It involves God and others. See, we're not the hero. God is. Now, there's one more thing. God sets the bar for giving. Look at that last verse. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to give thanks to God for his indescribable gift as we come to the communion table. Let's pray. Father, we want to come and offer ourselves to you. We want you to form our attitudes and our motivations and our perspective so that we can view, view giving the way Paul did. Work in our hearts and minds. Thank you for your great gift. And continue to be with us as we worship and come to fellowship around your table. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.